Welcome to the Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss travel in South Africa and beyond for persons with disabilities and special needs with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting, accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. everyone and welcome to today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel brought to you by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. Today, we're talking to a married couple, Hilton and Loretta Purvis, and they share their insights with us on their travels both here in South Africa and overseas, their thoughts on the concept of universal access, and some of the challenges that they face as a married couple where one person is traveling in a wheelchair. Then we're starting our first travel tech corner. And today I'm going to be sharing one of the apps that I use extensively when I'm traveling to help make my life a little bit easier as a blind tourist. But before we get there, let's dive into that interview so you can meet Hilton and Loretta. Today, we're talking to Hilton and Loretta Purvis, who are people who love to travel. Loretta is a photographer as well as a traveler. And we're chatting them today about some of their experiences traveling around, especially around our own beautiful country. Welcome, Hilton and Loretta. Thank you very much, Loretta. It's lovely to have you with us on the Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. Maybe we can start off by just asking you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, I am 58 years old, um, born and raised and schooled in Cape Town, Um, worked in the financial services industry, initially in a clerical capacity and later on um, moving into information technology, ultimately data warehousing and uh, trying to use all that information to do strategic analysis for the, for the business. Um, but that's in the past. And uh, now uh, we are professional travelers and uh, we are enjoying lives. Um, okay. Okay. Um, for the last 45 years, I've been permanently confined to a wheelchair due to muscular dystrophy. I use the word permanently because it impacts quite uh, noticeably on how we travel and and, and what we can do when we travel. Uh, And then we'll probably come back to that point when we discuss things in greater detail later on. Um, But uh, I I make use of a motorized wheelchair at home. uh, But when we travel, I uh, use a manual folding chair, which is a lot more portable and uh, we can load it in and out of the car a lot a lot easier. Great, and Loretta? Yes, I'm Loretta. I've been in the IT industry for 40 years. Very thankful to be retired and able to enjoy my real passion, which is traveling and photography. And how did the two of you meet? 
<laughs> we met at work. Uh, I sat opposite Hilton. Uh, and uh, because he was in a wheelchair, he used to get a tray with coffee and milk, and I used to go in in the morning and use his milk because ours only came two hours later. <laughs> and things sort of developed from there onwards. Well, that's a lovely story. My husband and I met through music, so I can understand that one. Maybe we can turn a bit now on to travels because that's really what the podcast's about. So just from the little bit that we've chatted before the starting the interview, it seems that the two of you have done a tremendous amount of travel. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Hilton, it's about. Um, I uh, first traveled uh, overseas in 1981 as part of a, of a disabled travel group uh, that went to Israel. Um, and uh, that was my first exposure. Uh, and then subsequent to that, traveled to the States and to the UK a couple of times in, in the late 80s and early 90s. And then um, when Loretta and I got together, we started traveling uh, in the USA. We've done Canada. We've done uh, uh, London and Paris, Switzerland and Singapore and Hong Kong, Australia, New Zealand. So we've done, I think it's a total of 12 countries on five continents or something like that. Um, my, my physical abilities have changed a bit over the years, so our overseas travel is, is, not, um, is not happening anymore. But we've, we've turned our attention, obviously, to do a lot more local traveling, and uh, we now try and, uh, and get into the national parks as often as we possibly can. Uh, and we've come, become pretty good at, at the garden route. That's a kind of a, a speciality of ours between Cape Town and Adda. Uh, we, know, we know that part of the world pretty well. And Loretta, from your side as a photographer, is that one of the reasons why wildlife and the national parks? It is, yes. Um, I just wish we'd had digital photography 50 <laughs> years ago. Uh, but um, I really enjoy wildlife photography because you never know what's going to happen. And it's always the hope that today you're going to get that perfect shot that nobody else has managed to get. And it's really enjoyable. Oh, it sounds wonderful. So let's talk about some of the logistics of how you travel. Because as people with disabilities, we know that sometimes the way we travel can be impacted by our specific conditions. Yeah. So what are the types of logistics that you encounter in your travels? What are the things you have to take into account as travelers? As I mentioned earlier, we tend to, well not tend to, we, we leave the motorized wheelchair at home. Mm -hmm. uh, we find it just too um, cumbersome and difficult to to move around if, you, if you're traveling, particularly if you're traveling overseas and even locally, um, because it is really heavy and really bulky. So, so we have accepted that we for us, it's easier to travel with the manual wheelchair. It does mean that Loretta needs to be more involved in terms of pushing the wheelchair around because I'm not, I'm not able to push myself around. But the folding wheelchair is obviously a lot easier to pack into a vehicle. It's a lot easier to pack uh, into, into another transport um, vehicle that you might need to use if, you, if you're having to get onto a, 
a boat or a train or a bus or something like that. It's a lot easier with the folding chair. Uh, it's a lot lighter, it's smaller, um, more, more compact. Um, in, in terms of other logistics, we, we take along a, a collapsible shower chair uh, because uh, showers tend to vary quite <laughs> dramatically from one place to another. So um, sometimes we, we don't use it. We, we, we find when we get to a destination that they've got something that is great and it's suitable. But rather be safe than sorry, and the, and, and the chair, the shower chair is really small and light, so it's an easy enough item to take along. I take things like a spare cushion for my wheelchair in case something happens to the other one, if it gets wet or rained on or something like that. Uh, I take a small toolkit for my chair because you know you you also need to just be prepared if something comes apart uh, or, or the frame gets loose or something like that. And then we tend to pack uh, a collection of medical um, supplies that we are familiar with. Um, I don't take any formal medication, but um, we take items that will help us with things like pressure sores. Um, and, and it's items that we don't have to necessarily go and buy at a store that we might not be familiar with. So I think if, if, if one's using certain items like that, rather take, rather take medical items that you know how to handle and that you are familiar with when you travel. And absolutely, and also because you know how your body's going to react to absolutely. them because the last thing you need is to try something and then discover that yeah, your body reacts. reaction right. or something. Yeah. Yeah. And what about things like accommodation? Do you have certain things that logistically become things that you need to sort out ahead of time? We have to sort out everything ahead of time. <laughs> yes, there's no, there's no winging it. Uh, maybe 50 years ago we could have winged it, but we can't wing it anymore. Two things, uh, we obviously need to be able to get into the room, so mm -hmm. anything upstairs is not practical. Um, and But really the most important thing we need to look at is the bathroom. And whether the wheelchair and the way Hilton uses the wheelchair is possible in the bathrooms that that are provided. Um, and it's not necessarily big, it's just how it's designed. There needs to be space um, for us on the right-hand side of the toilet that you can use for lifting and for placing of the wheelchair. And that really is the most important thing. Um, we, we always ask, with the advent of smartphones, Please send us a photograph of the bathroom. Um, don't tell us what it's like. Don't say it's accessible because you don't know. Because what's accessible for us isn't necessarily accessible or won't work for somebody else. So send us a picture and we can see immediately whether we can use your place or not. I that's one of the things that I've, I've worked out in chatting to other people as well is that a lot of these service providers, the accommodation, the kind of, but how do you make your bathroom look pretty in a photograph? It's kind of got not, nothing to do no. with how pretty it looks, yeah. but how functionally useful it's going to be. Yes. yes. So there's quite a few things that you need to take into consideration then when planning your trips. Yes. So let's look at some of the, the assistive technologies and some apps and things like that that help you to prepare for a trip. Yeah. What are the sorts of things that you're using? when you're preparing or on a trip? Look, the, the advent of the internet, obviously, has, has been a huge boom for us. Um, 
and uh, it's, it's really transformed the whole way that we would plan our travels. If I think of our of, my, of our early travels in the in the early nineties, um, you had to resort to a, a frommers or a fodder's travel guide or something, <laughs> and that would it would be whatever was printed on the page, um, and you you would decide based on on on, on the short paragraph detailing the the hotel or the motel, whether or not you could use them. And that was that was your limitation. But now, thanks to the internet, you've got uh, more information available to you. You've got images available to you of the place. Um, and, and that has been a huge uh, boost. Um, more specifically, their, their websites, like Karen Kutsi's Disabled Travel website, the South African website, she's got a huge resource of um, accessible accommodation venues across the country. That's normally my go-to uh, website. Um, if I'm first searching for a place that I've never been to before to see what Karen's website has got about it. Secondly, obviously, is Google. Google is always your friend, and, um, and it certainly is our friend, and we use it an awful lot. Uh, not only in our first uh, requirement is to source accommodation, but then to find out more information about the places that we're going to and what we are likely to be able to do there and achieve there with the wheelchair. Um, and then more recently, as we already touched on earlier, is, is something like WhatsApp. WhatsApp has been an enormous um, step forward for, for us in our travels, um, particularly with regard to the accommodation, because it allows you to contact um, a and b or a lodge or a motel, wherever they might be, and you can say to them, please, won't you just take your phone, take a photograph of the bathroom, take a picture of the, of the toilet, take a picture of the shower, um, or any area that you may be concerned about, and just WhatsApp it to me, and literally within 15 or 20 minutes, you, you've got an image which pretty much tells you whether or not you're going to be able to use it. Um, uh, in my case, an image obviously is worth a thousand words. I can I can look at a photograph of a bathroom and know immediately whether the two of us can manage, whether it's all right for Loretta to be able to get me in and out, whether it's okay for me to use. Um, so, so WhatsApp has been a major boost because um, even email used to was 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 a great helping hand, but. There was always a problem getting in. How do I get an image, you know, to email onto my computer, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Now it's just a case of take the picture with your phone. This is my cell phone number. WhatsApp it to me, and boom, bam, you've got yourself an answer within a minute or two. Do you find that most service providers, most venue owners or managers, are willing to help in that sort of way? Yeah, I don't think we found anybody who hasn't been willing. I mean, we've had people go as far as take a video of the bathroom. No, yes. the people are, are very friendly and very willing to help you. And I suppose, in a sense, you know, there's the next step will probably be to use things like the video chats on WhatsApp to just walk through the room with the owner or the manager as well. Yeah. You yes. know, because even there you can yeah. point out just to turn a little more to the left. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways that you can find out information. Yeah. So your smart devices are able to help with that. Yeah, yes. absolutely. absolutely. Right. I've right. never had a problem with anyone ever being concerned about sending me an image. And as Loretta says, we even get got some videos, which is fantastic. You know, 
sort of a 360-degree view of the room, and, and then, yeah, huge, huge help to us. Perfect. It's good to hear. In the travels that you've done, what sort of challenges have you experienced and what are the techniques that you've used to overcome some of those challenges? Um, I think firstly I need to say that the accessible uh, issues aren't normally a problem at tourist destinations in our experience. We, we find that at venues like, like Table Mountain or Kirstenbosch Botanical Gardens or wine farms that we've been to or the waterfronts or the malls, etc. Um, they are generally accessible and quite accommodating in terms of disabilities. Um, restaurants and things like that vary according to whether they're inside malls or in city streets. So the access to them can sometimes be extremely good or extremely bad. Where, where we generally find our our biggest challenge to be is with regard to accommodation. Um, and there certainly appears to be a shortage of genuinely accessible accommodation. Um, it's, it's not a uniquely South African problem. We've encountered a similar problem right, right across the world. But um, our, our biggest um, headache, if you want to call it that, or challenge is to get the accommodation sorted out. Once that's sorted out, everything else tends to fall into place because, as I said, the major venues and the major tourist attractions do appear to have made a, a good effort to make themselves accommodating to, to the disabled community. Do you find that's the same when you go into the national parks? To some extent, yes, um, although the, the parks do have accessible chalets and, uh, and cottages. The, the level of access in those cottages is limited. Um, I would go as far as to say that um, I don't think you could stay on your own as a, as a wheelchair user, if we're looking at wheelchair using, um, users specifically. As, a, as an individual wheelchair user, you would probably struggle to um, be able to stay on your own in a, in a national park cottage or chalet. You really do need someone to, um, to help you, uh, not only in terms of getting into the chalet, but in terms of, for instance, using the shower and things like that. I think Loretta may comment about what that is like. If I think of, of the, the, the parking area and then the, the paths from the parking area are often quite tricky. Loretta has to do some quite hard work to get the wheelchair to the cottage. And then and then silly things like, like in the shower, having the shower seat positioned in such a way that you can reach the shower handset on the one side, but you can't reach the controls, which are on the other side of the shower vice versa. So you can either hold the handset and have no shower or you can reach the shower control and not hold the handset. And so in other words, you actually need to have two people in the shower, which is fun, but uh, I don't think that's the way that they, they <laughs> intend it to be, you know. Um, so um, yes, they're accessible, but no, they're not accessible, if, you, if, if I can put it that way. They think they're accessible. Yeah. yeah. So they're designed 
with some thoughts towards accessibility, but probably without checking in Correct. with people to I see whether it's workable. I would yes. say so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Loretta, from your side, you know, what, what would you see as the, the biggest challenges that you faced assisting Hilton and in, in the traveling there? It's it's being able to lift safely, being able to offload out the car safely. Um, so you want to have a parking area where you don't have loose gravel, which you can slip on, or uneven flooring with rocks and roots and things. You need you need preferably a paved level area. Um, Yes, uh, I mean the ability to get to where you're going relatively safely without worrying about tipping over, and and ramps that are not suicide ramps but are normal ramps that you can just go up and down in safety. I have a friend who spoke to me once about a ramp that she called a mini Kilimanjaro. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, you get there. Yeah, you absolutely. do get there. You yeah. do get there. Um, and then you ask somebody else to stand in front of the wheelchair. So if it does slip, then they can catch you. They can catch you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You see, we have a philosophy when we travel of no surprises. That's our catch word. So you don't, you don't, you want to be prepared enough that then nothing that you encounter is going to be a nasty surprise. I'm quite happy for the surprises to be lions leaping out of bushes and elephants charging (laughs) around and things like that. Those are the surprises I'm quite happy to deal with and I love them and we both love them and Loretta's waiting for them (laughs) with a camera. But when I say no surprises, I mean in terms of of accommodation and, um, and what we expect when you get there. There's nothing worse than than being led to believe that something is accessible and and that it's all set up for you and then getting there and finding and and traveling a thousand kilometers to get there and then finding that it isn't accessible or isn't what you were in, told about. And that's why that's why seeing images and photographs, etc., helps a great deal so that you, you already know before you left home what it is that's waiting for you and what the logistics are likely to be so that when you get there, there are no surprises in terms of that, no unpleasant surprises. I'm more than happy with pleasant surprises. It's the unpleasant surprises that I don't want. So so with that philosophy, we, we try and, and plan our trips. Um, it, it's, it brings me on to, on to another topic, which, which is a bit of a bugbear with me at the moment, and that is the concept of universal access, which which I struggle with right now. I, I I understand universal access. I've obviously known about it ever since it was first um, used, and uh, it's it's the principle is great. It's just the implementation of, at the moment, anyway, isn't isn't that great? It's a bit questionable, and the result is everybody is using it almost as a catchphrase. It's if you if you contact a lot of accommodation venues, they they'll say we are universally accessible. We conform to universal access. And then when you start digging deeper and saying, well, tell me about it, show me show me some photographs, give me some guidelines as to what your bathrooms look like and what your venues look like, then you find that it's it's quite inaccessible. And then you kind of wonder how they 
how they got to this term of universal access. Are there any set guidelines or um, policies that define what ex- universal access should be, or do you think it's just one of those catchphrases that people are using, hoping that or thinking that they might be, but not really having any idea of what it means? I think there might be a guideline. I must admit I don't know somebody from uh, who, who might be an architect might be able to tell you if there is an official guideline. I've not ever seen one. It, it is a it is a loose framework, and judging from the sheer variety of different things we've seen, it is a very loose framework uh, because um, we've seen some places where where you know the the bathrooms are pretty good, but the but the living areas are are, are really not very well set up, and and vice versa, and places where the, the the interiors are all accessible, but the exteriors are not accessible. So, so it seems to be a, a, a really uh, loose arrangement. But um, I, I think it's because people seem to feel that if they use the phrase universal access, it, it means something to somebody. But I'm not entirely sure that it means anything to anyone at the moment. I think there's also a, another challenge, and that is that because of our different disabilities and because of our different abilities, what will work for one person won't necessarily work for another, even yes. with the same condition or, yes. or the same um, disability. To make something truly universally accessible, mm-hmm. it actually boggles my mind mm-hmm. because our needs are so different. Yes, I don't think you can. You what works for one that. person in a wheelchair isn't necessarily going to work for another, mm-hmm. but um, you do at least need space on the side of the toilet, for example. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah there's certain. I, I, I fully agree with you, Lois, that, um, that there, there is no perfect solution. We can't sit here and draw a list on a, on a sheet of paper and say, if we do this, 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 and this, it's accessible to everybody. But I think there are certain minimum standards, as Loretta said. There's certain things about spaces around, transfer spaces around use. There's certain things about access into showers, rolling showers, being able to reach the controls and and be sitting underneath the shower when you're reaching the controls. The, the, the height of hand basins and the heights of beds and things like that, um, which, which would go a long way towards um, making venues accessible it's quite a thought um, <laughs> and I must definitely dig more deeply into that and see if we can find an expert to come and chat to us about that at yes, some stage on the podcast that'd be a great one to yeah, sure. and pursue and get an answer to that is there such a thing as a standard mm-hmm. for what is universally accessible mm-hmm. moving from then some of the, the those details and the challenges you must have some extraordinary stories of your travels. Would you each maybe like to share one of your favorites with us? Um, yeah. Sure. Uh, we, you can go gotta, first. <laughs> Who's going to go first? I'll go first. We've got a whole, yeah, we've got a lot of, a lot of great stories. We could spend the whole afternoon talking about stories like that. But um, I would say, one of, one of my first thoughts would be um, 
traveling when we were traveling in Australia and New Zealand, we uh, encountered a, a I would almost call it a, a system of accommodation which they've got over there. Um, the Youth Hostel Internationals, the uh, the YWCA's, um, they've got something called Holiday Parks, and they've got another thing called the Top Ten, and they were all um, affordable forms of accommodation, um, not not formal hotels or motels or anything like that. They were, I mean, a holiday park in New Zealand consists of anything from a patch of grass that you can literally rent per square meter, and you come along there and put your tent up on it, and right through to a, a cottage like we stayed in, which is which had um, which had its own ensuite bathroom and and parking area and everything. So you had everything in between, caravans, campsites, et cetera, et cetera, all rolled into one, but they were fully wheelchair accessible. And, and they were located near to the major tourist destinations. You weren't uh, 15 kilometers out of town or something like that, where you, where you had to then travel in to see or do anything. And they provided us with with the ability to see those two countries in a very affordable way and in a very comfortable way because it made um, it a lot more easy for Loretta to manage the wheelchair, even though we were in some pretty wild uh, parts of the country. We weren't in capital cities or anything like that. Um, so... That I would consider those to be one of our favorite stories, but certainly one of our success stories uh, was was the, y, uh, the YHI, the YWCA, Holiday Parks, and Top Ten. Um, on, a, on a more local uh, uh, front, I think one of the most enjoyable experiences we had was traveling through to the Robertson Wine Valley. Uh, which we've always enjoyed. But in the early days, um, we used to stop in at the Grand Beck Wine Estate, uh, which had a very futuristic building in those days, in the early 90s. We were always amazed by it. But it also had an enormous flight of stairs going up the front, which prevented me from getting anywhere near the tasting room. And the, the, the staff there were very accommodating, and, and they, you know, they obviously apologized for having the flight of stairs and all that, but there wasn't anything they could do about it, but they used to bring the wine down into the into the gardens, down by the parking area and by the koi pond, and, and they used to help us with the wine tasting there, which was great. But then one day they mentioned to us that um, that they were doing some alterations and uh, they were going to put in a lift. So we kind of made a mental note of that, and they said, let us know when you're coming again and we'll invite you around. So we didn't need a second invitation to something like that. So a couple of months later, we were up that way and, uh, and we stopped off at Graham Beck and they had transformed the place completely in the sense that they had an underground uh, or fully covered parking area, which was wide enough for to be able to unload the chair on a, on a level surface, a level paved surface. You, you stepped into an elevator, which took you up to the tasting area, and not just a, a, 
uh, a kind of basic farm type elevator. It was a proper sort of Schindler lift type of elevator. They built a fully wheelchair accessible toilet upstairs and bathroom. And you could roll out of the elevator into the tasting area and access any of the facilities that they had up there. And that was quite extraordinary to see how a venue which was completely inaccessible could be changed to being almost perfectly accessible, I would say. We really couldn't find anything wrong with it. Um, Just with somebody having the will and the desire to do so. And that's such an important um, strength and force, I think, in terms of making service providers more accessible is those that will and the desire to do it. Yeah. The interesting thing was, because uh, we, we joined them for lunch and, and uh, um, we were obviously speaking about the changes that they'd made and, and, uh, and, they, and they were quite reticent to promote themselves from that point of view. They'd, and I said to them, no, no, when you've gone and done what, you, what you've just done here, you need to tell people about it because there are a lot of folk out there who want to know, you know, and, and, and we said that they, you, know, you should put a notice on the gate because if I'm in a wheelchair and I'm driving past, I don't want to drive past, I want to drive and, and stop in because obviously this is a place that I can enjoy, it's a place that I can appreciate. And um, so I think that is another thing to, to folk who have gone and made their venue or their accommodation venue accessible is you need to be able to tell people. You need to tell people what you've done and you need to tell people what you are providing so that they can then um, make a point of stopping in and actually using your facilities. It's a very good point. Thank you, Hilton. Loretta, from your side, you must have had some amazing wildlife experiences <laughs> in the national parks with your photography particularly. Do any particular stories spring to mind for you? Um, one particular story being in Ada Elephant National Park where uh, we were parked on a road somewhere in the park and uh, had groups of elephants approaching us um, and surrounding the car and and us not being able to move at all and me holding the video camera on the windowsill watching, well, videoing the elephants saying to Hilton, don't make eye contact! Don't make eye contact! <laughs> because they were really so close, you did worry that they'd think you were, you were out to get them. So that was probably the most exciting sighting we've had. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, on a slightly different topic, uh, I, one of the most amusing times we had was in Hong Kong, which was very difficult with wheelchair, very difficult. Um, trying to book a tour with a travel operator to do some sort of, you know, going out to see a temple, going out to the Northern Territories. Um, and this woman looking at us, making a phone call, jabbering away in Chinese, and then coming back and saying, no, you can't do that. I'm not letting you do that. And us saying, why? No, because you can't get there. Um, which was really considerate of her because... Uh, we knew we wouldn't be able, Hilton wouldn't be able to get to many of the places, but we were willing to try it. And her just refusing point blank and saying, just catch the ferry, go to that island and you'll see exactly the same thing, which was fantastic. Um, 
The other thing that we found amazing was the underground system in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, the only real metro system we've been able to use, and it was accessible, you didn't go anywhere on it. Um, it was fantastic. And just so liberating to be able to do what you needed to be able to do. It's good to know. We've spoken a lot about the experiences that you've had in different venues, different places. If a service provider were to ask you what the starting point should be for them about making their venues, their services more accessible for yourselves or for persons with disabilities, what advice would you give to them? The advice would be, obviously, I, I always believe that the bathroom the bathroom is the most important uh, <laughs> aspect. I know it sounds... It sounds so unexciting, unromantic, but it's so practically it true. Just, you know, when you've got to go, you've got to go, and you can't <laughs> escape that fact. doesn't matter what your disability might be or wherever you might be in the world or wherever it might be in the country. But the, the starting point and the ending point is is always the bathroom. And in fact, I could almost go one step further and say it is specifically the toilet, but um, which would sound like a very basic thing to say, but it is unfortunately the truth. Um, you know, we, we've managed to do without showers and we've just, you know, wash yourself down by hand and everything if you have to, but, but you can't do without a toilet. And um, so the bathroom is the most important. And if you and it doesn't mean that the bathroom has to be an enormous room. We've, we've seen some accessible bathrooms that are, that are no, not much larger than a cupboard. But uh, if you just design it correctly, they can be, they can be really compact and really practical. But, um, so the bathroom is the first point. And then secondly, obviously, is, is things like the living area and, and, and the bed, the height of the bed, and then access in and out of, of the accommodation venue. Um, the paths and the parking area and whether that's paved and whether you can get to and from it and whether your uh, uh, your doors are sufficiently wide enough, etc. Um, so, but, and, and all of that sounds terribly complicated, but the one thing that we've found over and over again is that um, if done correctly, it doesn't have to be an expensive exercise. Uh, it can be done relatively cost-effectively um, and certainly if you're building a new venue, then obviously the cost is, is negligible, if anything at all. So um, that's, that's my message, is, is, is to start from that, from that point of view. And then once you've got an accessible venue, then please tell people about it so that you know, you, people can then use it accordingly and, 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 and tell other people about it because that's that's what's so important. I mean when we find a venue that's that's accessible, we try and tell as many people that we can about it and and the, and the news gets around really quickly, believe me, when when you find something. And certainly when we have found certain venues that are right, we go there again and again and again because we, we know it makes our travelling so much easier. Anything you'd like to add to that Larissa? I'd say keep it simple. Uh, you don't have to over-engineer. You don't have to use 
really sophisticated equipment. I mean, we've been in places where the the owners have tried and they've tried really hard and they've 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 almost spent too much money making something which yes. is is not necessary. Yeah. I mean, we had one bathroom where they had three different hand basins. Well, you don't need three; you just need one, and and. They were trying their best to make it accessible, and, and it looked a bit strange because it looked like a, well, like a store. But, um, and then we had somebody else who put a ramp in, and, and they didn't think about it, so it was really ugly. I mean, you could use it. It was fantastic to use, but it could have been just been designed slightly differently, and it would have been yeah. attractive and, and worked just as well. So it's it's... Small changes. We're not talking about demolishing rooms, and, and we're talking about things like showers that you, you hand showers mm. that are on that are not fixed to the ceiling that you mm. can direct the water with. Um, minor things like that, which make it. Really I, easy. I always say um, because you know, quite a lot of folk have said to us, but yeah, you know, how would we know if you can use it or not? Or or how would we know if it works? And I just say to them, just get a garden chair, get chairs out of the garden, and come and sit in front of the hand basin and ask yourself, okay, if I'm sitting in this chair, can I wash my hands in the hand basin? If it's one of these fancy, which seems to be the fashion at the moment, these tub basin type things that are that are the current trend, then they're really difficult to try and wash your hands in because you need to be able to hold your hands somewhere up above your head. If you, they're fine if you're standing, leaning into the basin, but if you're sitting in a wheelchair in front of the basin, you, your elbows are up at head height and your hands are going to be down into the basin. It's, it's crazy. And likewise, can you see yourself in the mirror? You know, if I want to have a shave, no, no, the mirror is up there at you know, six foot or something. No, I can't see myself up there. So if you just put yourself in, a, in an ordinary garden chair, sit at the hand basin. Go and take that garden chair, move it across to the shower. If you sit in the shower, can I reach the control? Can I reach the handset? Go and sit next to the loo. Can I, if I sit in my chair, can I transfer from this garden chair sideways onto the, onto, onto the loo? Yes, no. If you can't, then you've probably missed something. You know? So you can do that quite easily um, without, without any prior knowledge or anything like that, just by thinking, am I able to use my own bathroom sitting in my garden chair? You know? Such a simple technique to help people to yeah. to discover whether there's even yeah. you know if there, if it is possible or not. Yeah, yeah, yes. And and I, I'm a, I have a bit of a passion as well, and that is to and that sounds crazy, but to try and discourage people from using too much um, technology to provide accessibility. Um, it, you don't need to resort to hoists and lifts and all sorts of fancy mechanical contraptions. If you put a little bit more work into the design and the layout, you, you don't need those mechanical contraptions. The problem with the mechanical contraptions is that they, they break, they fail, they age, they don't work if ESCOM doesn't provide power, et cetera, et cetera. So we find the venues that have been best for us have been the ones that have been cleverly thought out, sensibly thought out, so that whatever devices and, and uh, surfaces and levels and stuff are in the bathroom are, are there come 
summer, winter, rain, shine, whatever, you know, they don't need to be maintained uh, and cared for. Good advice as well. We've spoken a lot about a number of different facets. If people want to contact you to learn a little bit more about some of your travels or to find out places where you would recommend might work for them, how can they do that? Yeah, they're welcome to. They can reach me. Uh, by email at um, hiltonp at telcomsa.net. That's Hilton P, one word, H-I-L-T-O-N-P, at telcomsa.net. Perfect. Thanks so much. Final question. What advice would you give to people with disabilities who are wanting to get out and see more of the world and see more of our beautiful country but are a little nervous about doing so. Maybe we can start with you on this one, Lorenzo. I would say just do it. <laughs> just do it because um, I'm not talking about paragliding or <laughs> anything like that. I'm just talking about getting in the car and going. If you feel you need people around you, invite friends so there is support. Uh, you'll find that people are very helpful, people are very friendly, people are very willing to help. Um, and the more of us who are out there doing it, the better things will be for everybody. That's excellent words of advice. Thank you. Mm. Hilton, from your side, what advice would you give to them? Look, my feeling is that we are fortunate that we live in a time when information is easily and readily available. And it is possible these days to reach out, uh, ask questions, get information, and and receive information and replies simply and quickly. There there are accessible venues out there. There are accessible. There is accessible accommodation out there. It's it's a case of finding them, and um, and the, and the lesson that we've learned is you can sometimes find accessible venues in the most unexpected places. So we are living in the right time to be able to travel more easily uh, and, and find accessible destinations more easily than we ever could in the past. And, uh, and I would second Loretta's comment there with that with that knowledge and with that power available to us, just get out there and do it. Thank you both so much for sharing your thoughts and your insights with us on the Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. Today we've been talking to Hilton and Larissa Purvis about some of their experiences traveling both overseas and especially here within our national parks within South Africa. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Lois. Thank you. It was great to chat to Hilton and Loretta Purvis and to get some insights from them on traveling as a person with disabilities and some of the challenges that we face. Now it's time for the Travel Tech Corner. This is a segment of the podcast where we look at an app or an electronic device that makes travel easier for us who are traveling with disabilities. Today we're going to be looking at an app that I use myself when I'm traveling, an app called Microsoft Seeing AI. Seeing AI is essentially an app that uses artificial intelligence to make sense of print and visual images. And there are a number of ways that we can use it as travelers 
traveling out into the world. The first is to look at both either the short text or the document channels, which can be used to convert text into audio. And this can be used as just as a few examples in with any documents given to you in hotels, brochures, any travel brochures. It can be used to help read um, restaurant menus and restaurant bills. A friend of mine told me that he also uses this short text channel to give him input on street signs and house numbers. And that also means that it should be able to be used when reading signage in tourist sites. Another channel, the currency channel, can help identify the notes that you have in your wallet. Unfortunately, it isn't yet available in South African rands, but it can be used with either American or Canadian dollars, British pounds, euros, or Indian rupees. So that could be useful to me on my upcoming trip to France. Another channel that can be useful for a travel traveler is the color channel. And I use that to help me identify clothing, both when I'm packing and when I'm sorting through my clothing in a hotel or my accommodation. A final channel that I want to mention is the light channel. And that lets me know if a light is on or off, or how dark the room is. And that means that I can tell whether a light at the bedside table next to me in my accommodation is on or off, which I may need to know. So that's just a few ways that seeing AI can be used by a traveler, and I'd love to find out other ways that you've used it in your travels. Microsoft Seeing AI can be used on any iOS device and is available on the App Store at no cost. I'm sure there are devices that are available on and the Android platform as well, and I'll try and highlight some of those in a future episode. But that's it for the Travel Tech Corner. Before I sign off for this episode, I'd like to leave you with some few words on travel from Moroccan scholar Ibn Battuta, who said, Traveling, it leaves you speechless and then turns you into a storyteller. May you have many speechless moments in your travels so that you can return home to tell the stories of your adventures. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za or on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa or on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za. Editing by Deirdre Gower. Our theme music is by Louis Chichao based on a motif by Lois Strachan. Credits read by Andre de Toy, the big positive guy. Thanks for joining us on Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy travels.